0: Could the increased volume of receiving targets around Antoine Juice Wells, plus a streamlined offense, help him become the SEC's leading receiver? I certainly think so. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. I am Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and you can find my written work over on Gamecocks Digest on SI.com. Thank you so much for making the Locked on Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch for your team every day. We are free and available both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Today's show is brought to you by our sponsor in LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. We've got a ton to digest on this Monday edition of Locked On Gamecocks. I am certainly going to address... Um, All the talk surrounding what all happened this past weekend with the Jalua Solomon commitment to Auburn. And a subsequent and controversial tweet, so to speak, that got posted afterwards. And I'm also going to talk about Antoine Juice-Wells today. I've said now multiple times that I was going to discuss how he could become the SEC's leading receiver in 2023. And we're going to touch on that topic finally on today's show. Because due to the players around him, the streamlining of South Carolina's offense, and the situation of other SEC wide receivers, there's a strong case, in my opinion, that Antoine Juice-Wells could be the leading receiver in the SEC this upcoming fall. Let's break this down into multiple different factors. Firstly, let's talk about the players around Antoine Juice-Wells. Now, before diving into what all he's got surrounding him on this 2023 squad, I want to take another look at what Juice Wells had this past season in terms of help at the wide receiver and tight end positions. Because, quite honestly, when you consider the circumstances, it's partly miraculous that Juice Wells did as well as he did this past fall when you consider the following. Josh Fan wasn't utilized properly due to the whole personnel groupings debacle with South Carolina's offense in 2022. Xavier Leggett, as he has been for most of his career to this point, was very inconsistent. To carry on joining Corey Rucker missed the majority of this season or were mainly ineffective due to some injury issues. Nate Atkins, he wasn't properly utilized until basically the last two, three games of the season for the Gamecocks. And Jaheim Bell, he didn't get as much playing time as well, and then he eventually got moved to running back from his tight end position because of Marshawn Lloyd's injury that he suffered late in the season against the Missouri Tigers. My overall point with mentioning all that, the one that was there to help Juice Wells the most this past season was Jalen Brooks. I got a lot of love for Jalen Brooks. I know Gamecock Nation loves Jalen Brooks. Jalen Brooks is balling out in Dallas' training camp right now, Good luck to him and what all he does in the NFL, but I think we can all agree on this. As well as Jalen Brooks performed last year in his role, Jalen Brooks, he's not necessarily a dominant number two wide receiver that can completely take over a football game, at least every so often like Antoine juice Wells can. Now, 2023, Antoine juice Wells has all the following players that are going to be surrounding him on the offensive side of the ball. Xavier Leggett, and Amari Brown, they both come back for another year and both have apparently improved their game a lot this offseason. Memphis transfer Eddie Lewis comes in. He could be a smaller version of Josh Van. basically. You bring in an absolute unicorn of an athlete in Nicholas Harper who could open things up on the outside for Antoine juice Wells, And you also add in two proven veterans at the tight end position in Trey Knox and Joshua Simon. Overall, based on the likely utilizations of all these guys, their hopeful availability for this team, and the cumulative talent that they all have, Wells, in my opinion, is going to have more help this season, and therefore, things are going to be more open for him when it comes to the passing game. Defenses will not be able to just key in on him like some, maybe outside of South Carolina, are led to believe heading into this season. The next thing I want to talk about is the streamlining of South Carolina's offense. No two players benefited more on this offense this past season from all the changes that got made to the play calling and the playbook itself than Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells. And the thing is, Juice Wells, his performances late in the year, they kind of get overshadowed because of what Spencer Rattler did. And obviously, when you consider the Tennessee performance alone, you can kind of understand why that's the case. But you look at the stat lines that Juice Wells put up against Tennessee and Clemson, he was phenomenal in both of these games. Against the Volunteers, Juice Wells recorded 11 receptions for 177 receiving yards. Against the Clemson Tigers, on the road nonetheless, he recorded 9 receptions for 131 receiving yards and two touchdowns. And he also sealed the deal late on a little screen pass to get a first down for the Gamecocks to effectively allow them to run out the clock. Imagine what his stats could look like if this is the kind of offensive game plan the Gamecocks have for an entire regular season. He could easily surpass 1,000 receiving yards. He will definitely get more than six receiving touchdowns. And I'm pretty sure that he will record more than 70 receptions. Because I want to say he recorded about 66 or 69 in 2022. So point being, this offense being simplified or being streamlined, as the Gamecocks coaching staff likes to put it, could do wonders for Juice Wells when it comes to his performances from Week 1 all the way to Week 13. And then the final thing I wanted to address real quick Antoine Juice-Wells, you could argue he's in a much better situation compared to some of these other receivers in this conference. Think about LSU's Malik Neighbors, a guy that gets a lot of respect for good reason. Nabors is certainly a talented wideout, but he's got Jaden Daniels at quarterback. Jaden Daniels isn't known for his downfield passing ability like Spencer Rattler. You look at Georgia. They've got some pretty good weapons, not going to lie. Lad McConkey, Dominic Lovett. Both of those guys, solid wideouts, but they got to play alongside Brock Bowers with a new quarterback coming in and also a new offensive coordinator coming in who, yes, might have the same system, but you know Mike Bobo's going to want to put his own little twist on things. I don't think that's going to help either of those guys. And also, Rob Robert Thomas at Georgia, he was a part of an air raid system the past couple years. Are we sure that he's going to put up similar numbers in a different offense with a team that's got much more talent around him? In Georgia, I don't know if you can say that. Alabama's got quarterback issues. They don't really know who their guys are going to be just yet. They might eventually, but I don't think that that's going to bode well for their receivers, at least at the beginning of the year. Tennessee could be the one team that has a wide receiver that maybe prevents Juice Wells from being the conference's leading wideout. But again, you just don't know who that one guy could be. There's not that one dude that just stands out amongst the rest, in my opinion, when it comes to the volunteers. And that's not meant as a slight. That's just meant to say that, you know, they could have multiple guys that record like 700, 800 receiving yards in that offense. But I don't think that would be enough to beat Juice Wells if all things go the Gamecocks way this year. So when you consider all those factors right there, I think it could make a pretty strong case that Juice Wells, for South Carolina, he could easily be the leading receiver ...in this conference at the end of the regular season in 2023. Now, with all that having been said, we're going to have to address um, the entire Julius Sullivan fiasco that took place this past Saturday. Not just his eventual and shocking commitment to Auburn, but what will happen afterwards. And I'm going to dive into all of that for the rest of today's show... In just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner, you always want to make sure that you have access to the most qualified candidates looking to work in your field. And if you find yourself in a position where you need to find the right people, you need to find people who are qualified to do the jobs that you have in your company, then you need to check out LinkedIn Jobs today. Just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring and utilize tools like screening questions to filter through the candidates. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus other leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnCollege. That's LinkedIn.com slash college to post your job for free today. Terms and conditions do apply. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. where We cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day in just 30 minutes. I'm going to be able to attend South Carolina's fall camp practice that will be taking place later this afternoon. So I'm thinking about doing another live show potentially, or I may just save all the notes and observations that I have for tomorrow's show. By the way, be on the lookout because I will be talking about the latest about what's going on at South Carolina's fall camp practices on the next show of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast. Let's now address the elephant in the room. With what all took place this past weekend. What all happened with the Jalewis-Sullivan announcement. Because jalewis Solomon went from looking like a Gamecock lock, so to speak. Industry experts, everybody pretty much said South Carolina was the team here. I felt pretty confident on my end that jalewis Solomon was going to end up a South Carolina Gamecock. I know that the majority of you probably felt extremely confident he would wind up a Gamecock. And he wound up picking the Auburn Tigers. After a last minute push, to put it bluntly, from Auburn, they changed the mind of Lewis Solomon. And after that happened, the Garnet Trust, the official NIL collective for South Carolina, put out a tweet that I'll go ahead and show right now. And don't worry, for those of you listening to this on an audio podcast, i am going to read this loud and clear so that everyone knows what they said. The Garnet Trust responded to basically Julius Saltman's commitment saying, quote, if money is the deciding factor for a player, chances are they aren't the kind of athlete who will appreciate the culture our coaches are building. Now, I don't think that they said that mainly in response to Julius Salman committing to Auburn. I should clarify on this. I think that they said that in response to more so maybe some frustrations from the fan base about the fact that NIL was likely what helped Auburn land Julius Salman at the end. And don't worry, I'm going to touch on that facet of this entire ordeal later on in the show. But let's address the Julius Solomon side of things first of all. While I don't believe that the sole factor was NIL, I definitely believed it played a big role in the final hours of Julius Sullivan's recruitment leading into this announcement on Saturday afternoon. And while this might be the case, there are a few important things that all of us, including myself, have got to remember here. The idea of a 40-year decision versus a four-year NIL decision isn't so black and white for high school kids compared to a lot of adults who've maybe been through their own version of this within their own field, within their own jobs. First thing we got to remember, some of these kids, they're in really rough situations. Whether that's financial, whether it's personal, maybe with where they live. There's a ton of things to be going on in a kid's life that we all don't know about, that we don't need to know about. But for one reason or another, either their upbringing or their current living situation is not ideal. And so when it comes to now NIL and which school they go to, that's certainly something that sits in the back of their mind. And you could understand that from the kid's standpoint. The other thing is some of these kids are clearly advised by some other people in their circles on what they should prioritize. And that also includes at times NIL. And depending on the advice they get, and especially depending on who it comes from, it can sway recruitments in a massive way. That's not me saying that that's what happened here with Lewis Solomon, but again, I think that we all can see how these conversations can unfold when it comes to a prospect, their family, and maybe some outside people, maybe even some trusted advisors, I guess, when it comes to certain finances and whatnot. And just because a kid decides to prioritize money at the latter stage of his recruitment, that doesn't make the kid a greedy sellout and a horrible human being. If you want to criticize how said player went about making the decision regarding NIL possibly being involved, that is one thing. But being emotional... And calling the kid out in front of God and everyone on social media, I'm not sure what it is with certain fans. I'm not sure what it is with certain people. But I can't recall any situation where a fan or a person has ever done that to a high school kid, and that kid turned around and said, you know what, you're right. That wasn't very nice what I did. Matter of fact, I changed my mind. I think I'm now going to go to your school. That has never happened in the entire history of, of high school football recruiting, ever. And I don't think it ever will. If you can find me an example, or if someone can find me an example, then I would definitely look at it. But I certainly don't think that that's something that's ever going to take place or has taken place. That leads me into the tweet that got posted by the Garnet Trust. The official NIL collective of South Carolina, the University of South Carolina, There are multiple things that I dislike about the tweet that they posted not long after what all happened with Lewis Solomon. First of all, I don't like the fact that this tweet included the insinuation that basically every recruit whose final decision is driven by NIL wouldn't be a culture fit at South Carolina. Now, I would agree with that message if you're talking about a kid who, from the very beginning, their first and main priority is NIL. If that's the kind of kid you're talking about, I can understand that message. But what do you say about a kid like a Jonathan Payler or a Keelan Adams, whose recruitments, for the most part, maybe weren't about NIL, but at some point late in the game, things changed on their end. And they didn't flip at the last second necessarily. Are we going to act like now that Jonathan Palin, Keenan Adams wouldn't have been culture fits here? Never heard a bad word about either of those guys. And no, I don't know him personally. I've never talked to him. But certainly do not come across as troublemakers or kids that could be bad apples in your locker room. In my opinion, at least. And when you leave something up for interpretation, like the Garn trusted in that tweet, that's when you'll find yourself in some trouble. And that leads me to my next point. This tweet makes it out like the Garnet Trust can't get it done when it comes to recruitments that come down to NIL. They opened the door for other fan bases of teams that South Carolina plays every single year. On top of that, national accounts that follow the sport. They allowed them to sit there all day on Sunday and poke fun at South Carolina and the entire program, calling it poor, calling it a poverty program, and basically saying that South Carolina will never win anything substantial because of this crap. I almost wish I could use some other words for it, but I can't. I try very hard to not use that kind of language on this podcast, but the Guard Trust allowed that to happen. Because they decided to post that tweet in the first place. And that's my last gripe that I have with this tweet. They left this tweet up for 15 hours. This got posted like late Saturday afternoon. Around like 5 o'clock, I want to say. This tweet stayed up until about 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. Everybody's calling out the person that posted that tweet in the first place. Rightfully so. I'm not going to advocate for someone to lose their job, but whoever posted that tweet certainly should not have the privilege of posting on that account ever again. And if it's your social media person, they just need to get a different title and be moved to a different position. Something like that. But the people who saw this potentially or didn't see this and allowed it to therefore stay out there as long as it did and circulate amongst everyone else on the interwebs and social media applications, they are just as complicit in this showing of flagrant stupidity that took place this weekend. This was just stupid by the Guard Trust. There's no other way of getting around it. Now, as much as I just ripped up the tweet to shreds, I don't think that long-term, this is going to have a massive negative impact on South Carolina's recruiting efforts. And there is a way in which everyone could take a lesson from this. There is a reality check that could come with this that could help South Carolina for the better in terms of the NIL space. And I'll explain why in just a couple moments. Okay, getting back to this tweet that the Garner Trust posted this past weekend regarding what all happened with how maybe Jalil Sullivan committed to Auburn. I don't think that that tweet is going to hurt South Carolina recruiting in the long run. But this tweet does need to serve as a reality check when it comes to the NIL space at South Carolina. Both for the collectives and the fan base. The entire fan base. And I'll explain why on that part in a minute. People have short-term memories these days. And... When it comes to something like this that populates on social media, people poke fun at it for a couple days. After a couple weeks, this will completely blow over. A lot of people will probably forget about it. Some won't. Some Clemson fans probably won't. Some Tennessee fans who just love to look at South Carolina stuff all day long these days, uh, they probably won't. But outside of that, majority of people, they, they won't remember this. Now, could this be used by other programs to negatively recruit against South Carolina? I don't believe so. Because I do think that Shane Beaver and the staff, if this tweet gets brought up to them in a prospect's living room or when visiting a prospect or when their parents come to campus or whatever, if it gets brought up to them, I think that the staff can find a way to clarify what the tweet meant and why it doesn't apply to said prospect. But it certainly wouldn't shock me if other coaching staffs who may have seen this, maybe took a screenshot, maybe are printing it out on a piece of paper, if they try to take that and twist it and use it against South Carolina. That part, I wouldn't be surprised about that one bit. But of course, they're not going to advertise that. So we're never going to know. As bad as this tweet looked from a public perception standpoint, This sequence of events could serve as a useful reality check for the collectives and the fan base. So let's discuss that now in more detail. Let's start off with the Garnet Trust, who needs the biggest reality check probably out of anybody from this entire sequence of events. Garnet Trust, you are the NIL collective of this school now. You're no longer some collective that's associated with a certain subscription-based site that operates on the Columbia Beat. You're no longer just that. You're now partnered with the school in an official capacity. And I lauded that move about a week, week and a half or so ago as a great move for the school, a great move when it comes to the NL space in South Carolina. This is not the way you conduct yourself at all. You got to do better. Y'all got to start acting like that. You are the NL collective of the school. Don't ever post tweets like this again. Seriously, like if you're going to be given a mulligan, this is your one mulligan. Don't do it again. You've already made South Carolina look bad enough for these past couple of days with that one tweet. So um, hopefully going forward, whoever posts tweets on that account, they will have a good idea of what you should post and what you shouldn't post. I certainly don't think that's going to be a problem. But yeah, Garnet Trust, biggest wake up call goes to you. This can't ever happen again. Period. End of story. Now for South Carolina's fan base, I want to start off by saying this. South Carolina's fan base is what makes following Gamecock football so fun, so memorable, and so recognizable on the national stage in the sport of college football. And in other sports as well. Baseball, women's basketball, men's basketball, when that team is doing really well. You're the lifeblood of these athletic programs. You are. You're what makes it possible for this university to field these teams. They would not exist without your support. I want to make that abundantly clear. Because all that is true. 1,000%. Nobody can ever take that away from you. But at the same time, South Carolina's fan base at times can be its own worst enemy. It can. And that's unfolding right now, in my opinion, when it comes to NIL in this space. The problem with the fan base in NIL right now is the fans obviously want the program to succeed. Every single fan wants the program to succeed. Not just the football program, but all the all the athletic programs. But too many people are divided right now in terms of how South Carolina should go about it, how it could be done. In terms of who should donate, you've got one group of people over here that thinks that everybody needs to pitch in and that, you know, even if it's just $10, there is no excuse for you not to pitch in. There are some people that think that way. I'm not saying that. I'm just bringing it up for the sake of this conversation. But obviously, not everyone can. There's a good segment of this population that lives paycheck to paycheck every single month. And it's not because they're just throwing money down the drain. It's because they have to use the money that they do make from their jobs and put it towards life expenses, family expenses, sometimes a rainy day fund, things that go wrong in their life. Everyone's financial situation is different. Okay? So you can't go down that route. You've got another group of people over here who thinks that all of the biggest donors that are associated with this school just need to commit a bunch of money. And that'll just kind of solve a lot of the problems with NIL here. The problem is we don't know if that's already happened. And quite frankly, when it comes to the board of trustees at this school, they've not exactly been the best group of people when it comes to understanding how important relations are with boosters. There's been some issues there in the past that I don't have enough time to go over on today's show. But what people need to understand from this fan base is that all sides are going to have to pitch in in some capacity. That includes the big donors. That includes former athletes that have gone to South Carolina that are now playing at the professional level in multiple different sports. And it also includes common fans. But for those who can donate and for those who can donate The idea of playing the waiting game and just assuming that everybody else is going to be able to donate and they'll be able to take care of the NIL problem, that mentality has got to go away. Because that mentality is going to stonewall NIL potential when it comes to South Carolina's athletic programs. It takes a village when it comes to NIL in college athletics, especially for a program like South Carolina. But you know something? If any program can do it through that route, it is South Carolina because of how loyal and how great these fans are, how great all of you are as fans of these respective athletic programs. Now, in regards to whether or not the culture is strong enough at South Carolina, and that would be enough by itself to put South Carolina over the top on the field, no matter the NIL situation. In my opinion, that is a naive thought to have. If the Gamecocks NIL coffers don't catch up with other programs, relatively speaking, not saying you got to be Texas A&M, but if you don't at least become respectable in this space, then South Carolina is going to have a limit when it comes to how well they can recruit and when it comes to on-field results. You'll eventually see it happen on both sides. You're already starting to see it when it comes to recruiting. At some point, South Carolina just cannot use culture for every single guy. And I'm not saying that the coaching staff is doing that. Heck, they might want to use more NIL, but they can't afford to do so right now. And at some point, for guys like Jonathan Paler, who I don't care if you're upset that he commits NC State, that doesn't mean that he's a bad football player. Jonathan Paylor, in my opinion, could be an All-American at NC State. I think he's that good by himself. You've got to start using money on guys like that at some point. If you want to win a championship, if you want to win multiple championships, you cannot win championships on culture alone. If you think culture alone is going to win championships for South Carolina, then get used to like 8, 10 wins a year max. And they'll never get beyond that. Especially now that the college football playoffs is about to be 12 teams. It's about to be the most difficult time In this sports history. When it comes to efforts. In trying to win championships. Because now you got to go through. So many teams. Just to get there. To the biggest game. In this entire sport. So my final point. To sum all this up. Everyone has got to do better. When it comes to NIL. At South Carolina. And how we all respond. From a lesson like this. Could decide what this staff could do in the coming years. And let's remember, this staff is led by a coach who is willing to do anything for this program. The football program finally has a coach that not only has proven he can win against big-time opponents, succeed despite adverse circumstances, but he loves this school. He probably wants to stay here for his whole career if he can help it. South Carolina's finally got their guy. Hopefully, some of these issues I've talked about today does not squander that. I'll leave it at that. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to today's edition of the Locked on Gamecocks podcast. I do hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show. What are your thoughts on Antoine Juice-Wells? Do you think he could be the SEC's leading receiver in 2023? And what are your thoughts on what all happened this past weekend? No matter what it is, maybe you have an issue with what I said. If you do, hey, that's okay. I can take it. What Whatever it is, let me know in the comments section on YouTube. Should be a direct message on Twitter at line underscore SC if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app. And once again, thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Monday and a fantastic start to the work week. And I'll be sure to catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.